0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law.
1: Hello, friends! Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review the draw against Seattle. We'll answer some questions from our Patreon members, and we're, we're going to cover some other Austin FC news. My name is
0: Landon Cotton, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley and Landon. I was just just on Twitter, and I just saw Lincoln asking you about why we did this show, and you said it was for the love and attention and the honor, <laughs> which I really appreciated. Do you wanna maybe fill folks in on what you did last week and i think I think it's online somewhere now where people can see it uh yeah, I think I don't know if the whole video is out yet, but
1: yeah, we did a um a little segment with Lincoln Rose for the pre show for the radio broadcast for the game. Um, and then I think it also aired on, what is the, the XM serious XM soccer station? Oh, oh, XM I don't FC remember. or something like that. Right. Yeah. It aired there, but then I think Lincoln is actually going to post the the full video soon as well. But it was myself, uh, Tony Cardone, who's the, uh, president of Austin Anthem and then Gabby Navarro, who's the president of Los Verdes. And so he just kind of reached out to a few people from a few different place parts of uh like supporter culture who have been around for a while and so just ask a few little questions to give a little uh insight into fan stuff for for the folks listening on the radio but I uh, always always enjoy talking to Lincoln he's a, a very very professional person whenever he's doing his his radio voice but anybody who's talked to him on Twitter or outside of his radio job knows that he's a total goofball so <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i love that about him too and i i saw a, Tony mentioned that he was inspired to, like, trim his hair and cut his beard after seeing that picture of himself where he looks like, you know, kind of a wild man. And I saw him on Saturday before the game, and he did. He was, like, nicely, freshly trimmed and cut. And it's like still he'd... all
1: big, though. I would have oh, been sad if he yeah, cut no. it all off, but he just kind of, like, like trimmed it up a little. It looks nice. It does. So, way to go, um, way to go Tony. Also, just before recording, we were uh, kind of dodging tornadoes here in Austin, our part of town ended up just getting a bunch of rain, and not not really seeing any tornadoes touching the ground.
0: Jeremiah, you said that your your house is okay as well. Yeah, we just got a bunch of rain too, but you know we don't get. I guess I saw it was like the first time we got in tornadoes in like twenty five years or something. Like in Austin, it's crazy; It doesn't happen very often. But I know there was some, it was something in Round Rock and Pflugerville and kind of all places around. It's kind of a wild night. Yeah, I, I,
1: growing up up in the Panhandle, like that was. A normal occurrence. And it was to the point that we're like a little bit desensitized to it. And like my wife grew up up there as well. And so it's essentially like, okay, tornado warning, turn on the news. Where's the tornado? And like, is it like right by my house? Okay, we're fine. And so I, I kind of did that like, oh, okay, it's Austin. We don't get tornadoes down here and kind of brushed it off and then turned on the news. I was like, oh no, they're like pointing at the map and saying like, if a tornado touches the ground in South Austin, it's right there and like pointed at my house essentially. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we should maybe take this seriously. But, uh, yeah, it, it looked like there was some sustained tornadoes on the ground up in North Austin and some other, other parts between here and Dallas. So, uh, hope everyone is okay. Um, stay safe if any more of that weather comes
0: through, but, uh, but yeah, th- thoughts go out to any folks who are affected by that. And one other thing, so, cause I grew up in the further South, but still in that tornado, you know, alley kind of place. And, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in Pflugerville and the whole family was like in the bathtub and he was standing out in the front yard looking for the tornado. And it's like such a dad thing to do. Like, is that, <laughs> was that your experience with your dad? Like that, that's what my dad would do. Like make sure everybody was safe and like stand out in the yard as if, I don't know, he could protect us from it. Or if he spotted it, he he would, you know, run in or what? I don't know. But I feel like I know a lot of people who do that.
1: My, I, my dad was like a, a fairly careful person. And so, I don't know that he was ever standing out in the yard, but I there were a few times whenever, like, we knew... Again, like, we'd been through enough of enough tornado warnings to know, like, when we're actually in danger, just judging by what the what the radars say, what the weathermen, like, weather people are saying. And so if it was, like, far enough out of town... Because we, like, it's flat, like, super flat, and you can see for miles where I'm from. And so it would be like, oh, it's in the next town over. Then we, like, might drive out to the edge of town just to see if we could get a glimpse <laughs> at it, but... <laughs> uh yeah if it was like on us yeah my dad was usually a pretty careful person wouldn't wouldn't
0: go outside (laughs) let's talk about seattle now we've covered the weather we've 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 done our jim spencer bit here now let's talk about about the match
1: (laughs) yesterday uh all right so yeah austin fc drew against seattle 1-1 i i I don't know how you felt on saturday on sunday was when the game was but like the game started off really well. I think Austin looked good for about 10 minutes. Then Seattle had about 20 minutes where they looked like the better team. And then they, they scored that goal. Austin came back out in the second half and like was putting the pressure on. But at the end of the game, it, it was a draw that to me felt like a loss immediately. And then as I kind of started thinking about it and looking at different, um, just like, Thinking about how it happened and why it happened that way, I felt a little bit better about the game with some distance from it. What was your experience with that?
0: Well, I wanted to. I want to. I'm going to ask a follow up question on your experience. And was the lineup that Seattle played any part of your like why you? Was this about the game flow, or was it about sort of your expectations going in? And Uh, it had nothing uh, to do with Seattle. Okay. Yeah, because I it was a I saw we I the lineup Seattle put out was stronger than what I expected it to be. Right. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Cause, uh, you know, there was just all this talk all week about Seattle, you know, Seattle, they played CCL and they had people out and stuff. But, I mean, they still had like a couple of Rodons. And then, I mean, Jordan Morse came into the game and Paulo, and Nuhu. I mean, they're so deep and that's something we didn't appreciate. But so yeah, back to the original question. Um, I felt like the I felt like the place was ready to explode and like that second goal was there near the end and so I did leave at, at the end like disappointed. Um, but after like on the rewatch, you know the probably from like tw- the second half of the first half was very 2021 Austin FC. I felt like so I was really happy to see us rally, you know, give the goal and rally and then, you know, not have the kind of outing that we had last year so many times when we gave up a goal early on.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and I think for me, it says something about the the expectations that the team has set for itself at this point, because it, it's and this is something Wolf uh, Wolf mentioned in the post game press conference, and then John Strong on the the Fox the FS one broadcast mentioned this, but he was talking about I, I guess they did some like media availability with the TV people beforehand um, with Wolf. And John Strong was referencing that and said that Wolf called it lazy journalism uh, when comparing results early last season to results early this season. And then kind of like bristled at a question from bills saying like, okay, well this is the same amount of points you had through this many games last year. What's the difference? And Wolf kind of like crossed his arms. So like, it's a different team. And that's all he said. Like, this is a different team. And I think he's right. Like, this this feels like a different team to me and so you could say like i, I don't know i we had that many points last year but i didn't f- i never felt last year like that was a sustainable thing like there were a lot of cracks even in those first few games that
0: were showing already and- yeah and if you i was going to say if you look at the numbers in this game versus like the you know like the Denver win last year and you know in colorado like i remember the uh the x girls really one sided like we were just Those performances seemed like they were like lucky performances and not performances like where we were the better team on the field. But we just, you know, our shots fell or we hit the right moments or whatever early last year. And that doesn't seem to be the case this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, felt felt a lot better after settled in with it uh, a little bit. Uh, Another noteworthy thing is that Josh Wolf was wearing a green shirt, but had a pullover. (laughs) <laughs> on over the top of it, so he's kind of hiding his light under a bushel there. But it was like a proper like verde shirt, which I don't think we've ever seen him wear before.
0: And it was interesting for him to do that yesterday when it was the most beautiful spring day that I can imagine. Like that was it had to be <laughs> that had to be one of the best weather related uh games that we played so far. Like it wasn't cold like the first ones. It wasn't super muggy. Um, I I was hot was over on day. the
1: east side with the sun beating on me, but.
0: I, I imagine in your seats you felt pretty good. Yeah, I felt I felt great under the shade. That's true. I did notice that the whole east side was very, very sunny. So going back to the,
1: the, the starting lineups here, so Seattle, like I said, started a stronger lineup than I thought we were going to. So I would say we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, probably six guys who are starting on any given game and then two or three other guys who are like rotation guys and will probably start 15 games this year. So it wasn't a weak lineup by any means. Uh, and Stephen Cleveland is the backup goalkeeper, but he started long stretches last year for them and looked really good, looked really good in this game too. So um, I don't think there's any any shame in this game, and I don't think it's a fair comparison to look at the game last year when they played five teenagers against us.
0: Yeah, they, so they had that one kid, number 73. Uh yeah, and that was, Vargas, yeah. He was basically the, yeah, I think he's the only one that you wouldn't expect to see a lot of time from, right? Uh yeah, and like, I mean even him like I think he's still considered a
1: like a rotational player. He has a, a a homegrown contract now. So uh like last year they kind of had to get emergency permission to even bring some of those kids up to the first mm-hmm. team, but Vargas is now like on the first team. So he's going to get other minutes this year. Um but yeah, I I think Another another thing that's noteworthy about Seattle's uh, formation is that they play a lot with a, a back three with some pretty attacking wingbacks, and they came out in what looked more of like a 4-2-3-1 against us, which I don't know if that was a tactical choice by Brian Schmetzer or if it was just like personnel. These are the people who are freshest and ready to go, so we're going to play them, but it looked like it maybe worked against what Wolf was trying to do with his selections, but I think it also affected Seattle there for the first few minutes because there are a few moments where uh, Nuhu, who is playing left back, whenever they play that back five, he shifts in and plays one of the outside center backs. And there was a few moments where they were trying to play out of the back, and one of those center backs would turn and look to the sideline and like play a short ball, and there's just nobody there, and they played out – like out of bounds. And I think they're used to having those wing backs kind of checking back to, to get those balls there. And there's just nobody there. Nobody so I think it affected them a little bit, but also with Austin's starting lineup, uh, wolf said in the post-match uh, press conference that when asked why he started GT and Finley and talking about GT, he said that like Seattle often plays three center backs and they're three pretty big dudes. Um, all their center backs are big physical guys. And so he wanted someone who could kind of battle with them. And then Finley has played really well and gives you that verticality. So uh, he, he didn't say this outright, but something I was curious about and something he said in the press conference made me think that this was the case, but he wanted to kind of like wear them down with those guys and then have Maxi and Finley or sorry, Maxi and Fagundes coming off the bench afterwards. So we can talk a little bit later about whether or not that was the right call or whether or not it worked. But I think that's what he was going for. And whenever they came out with a back four, maybe it kind of thwarted the plan with GT there. I I think it's still... I don't know that it affects what Finley's doing much as far as if it's a back three or back four. Maybe it doesn't let him get in behind as easy. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that was
0: kind of what he was going for with those choices. Would you want to talk about some of the numbers? I mean, they were all... They were I mean we talk about this I'm not going to talk too much about last year but we had a lot of these games last year where the possession was in favor of Austin the shots were in favor of Austin but they weren't very threatening but this one you know Austin dominated I feel like it was like Austin justifiably dominated the statistical side of things so possession was 61 39 for Austin x goals this is from FotMob cuz I've seen a higher number from some other places but it's 2.1 to 1.7 for Austin shots 21 14 Austin shots on target 8 to 4 for Austin like We led in every category, and I felt like that was reflective of us generally being the better team on the day, even if the shots didn't connect.
1: Yeah, and I I think another thing to look at is in some of those games where we ended, I think we had like 74% possession against them last year. Is that what it was? But there's a lot of games where Austin had a ton of the ball, but the defense of the other team didn't ever really look bothered about it. And that was not the case today and hasn't been the case in any of the games we played so far. Like we're making those guys work and Seattle didn't make any mistakes. And whenever they did um, open the door a little bit, we didn't capitalize on it. Same thing against Portland. Uh, But yeah, it's, this is a different kind of 61% possession than what we saw last year. A lot of times.
0: Yeah. And I, I, some, some of the broadcast, they showed like the possession battle and I, I didn't, I didn't realize we were we're still we've won the possession battle, I think, like between 55 and 60 percent in every match. But it, they, they've they all seemed like more to your to your point, like a lot more. Um, intentional and dangerous possession than we saw a lot of last year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's go into some of the kind of key moments from the game. So, like I said, Austin started out pretty strong the first 10 minutes and then there's probably a 20 minute stretch there where Seattle was kind of sticking it to us and we were playing a little bit slowly and then not really doing so well in transition, made some mistakes, turned the ball over a few times too easily. Uh, And then in the 43rd minute is when that first goal came. So um, there's a lot of talk about this one being offside. So I think it was Joao Paulo who plays Christian Roldan up the right-hand side. Jean Colemanich had stepped up to cover uh, Alex Roldan, the right back, and Christian Roldan fell into that gap behind, and Joao jo Paulo found him in the space, and so he has he's alone out in that space. Eventually, Gabrielson comes out to mark him, and Cascante moves over to, to track Will Bruin, who's kind of floating towards that near post. Roldan puts in the cross, and there's just like a big collision essentially, and Bruins able to kind of bundle it into the goal past Stuver. Um, there was a lot of of they they actually reviewed it, so they they paused the game for a moment to review it for offside. Uh, I watching it, I thought Roldan was offside. As soon as the goal went in, the line judge on that side ran back to the spot where he thought it was and was just standing in place as if like, okay, I'm not going to move because this is where it's going to come back to whenever they review it and call it offside. Uh, the ref stands there with his finger in his ear for a second, listening to the VAR and then points to the spot. They didn't have to look at it for very long. Afterwards, we we didn't know this during the game, but after the fact, uh, PRO which is the, the refereeing organization. They respond. They actually have a system for uh, the, the media to submit questions about certain calls, and they'll they'll respond to some of them. The response from PRO was there were no angles that showed the attacker in question and the entire back line of defenders. By looking at various angles together, the VAR concluded that the on-field decision was not a clear and obvious error. So that essentially means like we think it was offside, but we couldn't prove it. <laughs> is that what you take from that
0: yeah that's one way to say well because they didn't say they were right they just said it wasn't a clear and obvious error so i guess that's the way that's the way to take it and austin fc fans all over twitter and every slack and everywhere else have spent you know the better part of two days analyzing every single possible angle and there's not a good way to look at it i mean i think there's a possibility that nick lima was like sitting far enough back that i guess that that he, he would have been the person that allowed the play to be onside right is that yeah he was, he
1: was the farthest back defender and there are no angles where you can see like at the moment the ball was played there's no angles where you
0: can see both Nick Lima and Christian Roldan and so so, wh- so why is Nick Lima there I guess that's kind of my question why are they not you know are they not in a line what's what's Nick Lima doing hanging out deep enough that Roldan could be onside I mean he was only
1: barely behind the line it wasn't that far if because there is one angle where you can see the back line and like Will Brew, I I need to look at it again. I'm not sure, but Will Bruin was there, and so I think there was maybe a chance that he. I don't know. You you could be. I, I I didn't. I haven't really watched it from that with that in mind. So maybe he did mess up. But my first reaction was just that he was a little bit behind the other defenders, but I don't think it was by very much.
0: Okay, I saw, I've seen so many angles. I don't know, I could be wrong, but I thought I saw one where it looked like he was pretty deep. Um, you mentioned the collision. Like, that was that was the thing on the rewatch today that I didn't quite get yesterday watching it in the moment. Like, that could have gone either way. Cause it was like Bruin and Cascante banged at each other pretty hard, and Stewart was right there, too. I mean, it was a, even with the on, with it being onside, like it was kind of a bang bang play there that didn't necessarily. Would you know necessarily have to result in the goal like Julio was really close to fending that off or Stuver on getting on that too, which is unfortunate that it worked out the way it did,
1: yeah, I think it touched all three of them, okay, so I'm looking at the the freeze frame here. Lima is at most like two or three feet, maybe a foot or two past Cascante and Gabrielson, so he's not super far okay,
0: over. My apologies to Nick Lima if he answers <laughs> if he listens to the show. Um, so yeah, goal comes right before
1: halftime. So in the postgame press conference, Wolf was asked about this. Um, he didn't seem to be dwelling on it too much. He said that the, the back line should have shifted over. So something that we're seeing a lot from the fullbacks this year, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but the defensive positioning sees our fullback sitting a little bit deeper and a little bit further inside in our attacking buildup. So part part of the reason being so that whenever we turn the ball over, they can push up and help cut off counterattacks. And then we've also been seeing them even in build up, the fullbacks will push up a little bit more, um, trying to be a bit, defend a bit more proactively instead of what they did a lot last year was sit deep and inside. And we were asking the wingers to drop back and cover those wide spaces. It seems like now they're kind of, uh, giving up those wide spaces and kind of daring people to play longer balls into there those spots. I think in this particular instance, Kolmanich probably should have committed one way or the other a bit harder. And what Wolf is saying is, if if um, if Ruben sees Kolmanich go after that one, he should be ready to slide over if that ball's played, and he does it a little bit late. So they play that ball in the, into Roldan. Ruben eventually comes, but Roldan takes two or three touches in towards the box before Ruben starts to close him down, really. And by then, like, Cascante is is having to wait to see what Ruben does before he can move over. And so it was just a little bit indecisive. And I think that's what Wolf was saying. He's like, yeah, I mean, they looked at it and, and weren't able to change the call. But in any case, they should have slid over and, like, we should have defended it better anyway. It shouldn't have been an issue even. And said that they talked about it at halftime. And if you watch the game halftime that you'll see over and over the same kind of rotation. And they're just like a bit sharper on it and they shut down Seattle several times doing that. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's a good learning moment for, for Ruben. I feel like he's, um, he's a good athlete. He has good instincts, but maybe still needs to learn what they're asking of him in this system and then also maybe he's, like, a, a little too brave sometimes. There was a moment where Ruben was playing it out of the back and just, like, kicked it straight into one of the attacker's legs. Oh, yeah, and I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, he's... it's To me, it feels like he's not afraid of anything, which is, like, you kind of want that sometimes. It's kind of nice to see him just, like, so bold on the ball and just, like, not really afraid to to dribble through a guy or whatever. Like, doesn't really like crack under pressure, but also people who aren't afraid of anything tend to do stupid things every once in a while.
0: (laughs) So, so if it was you, would you, is he in your like best 11? If you're playing FIFA and you're, you're playing like your Austin starting lineup right now, do you put Ruben and Cascante as your center backs? I think I do still. Um, I mean, I, I still want to see Kip get some minutes, but I,
1: I think another thing is just management. Like Chris Bills did an interview with Dave Tinney a couple of weeks ago and Tenny talks about the, like that rookie wall. And I think we saw Danny hit it last year where he got some injuries and like the says, like their bodies aren't used to this. They're, they're not used to being asked to do this much with their bodies. And so I like, I know a lot of people want to see Kip play more, but I think it's good for him and good for his development to ease it in and not throw too much at him at once. Um, not just from like a mental standpoint, but from a physical standpoint, we need to kind of ease him into to this new level of play so that he doesn't get injured and miss half the year.
0: Right, so that gets us to halftime. And then I feel like the, the first, let's well, say the first 12 minutes of the second half, like up until the subs were a little bit 2021-ish too. Like I felt like we were kind of moving the ball slowly. I almost felt yeah, like it was so slow. It was almost like we were waiting on the substitutions to come in to change the pace of play in some way.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the, like, I don't, so talk about temperature, like where you were sitting in the shade. Did it feel hot at all to you? It never felt hot at all to me in the shade. I'm curious what it felt like on the field. So I'm guessing the guys on the right side in the first half were sweating and the guys on the left half weren't. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's a pretty dramatic. Well, I went back and watched it on TV today. I guess I had noticed that in the stadium, but it's pretty dramatic, like how dark and shaded it is on one half the field, and how bright and sunlight it is, especially during the first half. Yeah, I'm it was pretty brutal side.
1: for the broadcast, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, and I don't. I was cur- like, they looked tired, but I was like, you have no reason to be tired. It's not that hot. You haven't played in seven days, so I, yeah, they looked sluggish. And then I don't. I don't know what it was. That, that like led them to be acting that way. But then, yeah, those, those subs came on, uh, Maxi
0: and Diego, if nothing else are going to give you energy. Right. Right. For sure. And, and, and the, like, I feel like other people fed off of them too. Like I was waiting right before, cause we talked last week about Cecilio a little bit and how it's great that he runs, but it's, you know, it's also not great that he asked for a sub at like 60 minutes. And I, I felt like, I was like, because he was slowing down a little bit too, right? And I was like, "Oh, this is going to be like Cecilio asking himself, you know, out of the game at fifty-eight or sixty or whatever." And he ended up like showing some bursts of energy and playing the full ninety for the first time all year, I think. Yeah. So I think they that's did. They right. kind they kind of brought they kind of brought that across the board to everybody, and just the way that they run by themselves is obviously a, a spark in the attack.
1: Yeah. So um, looking at the just like the progress of goals throughout the game. Diego and Maxi came in on in the 57th minute from so there was a uh, we had a shot in the 58th minute. But then starting in the 64th minute and going to the 76th minute, so about 12 minute stretch. I think we had eight or nine shots in that little period, uh, some of which we probably should have finished. Alex Ring got a chance. Um, like a little one-touch thing in the box that went off the post. Um, Uruti had one that was – oh, it was, it was actually the rebound from that. So Ring hits the post, somebody clears it, Uruti spins around, tries to hit it, and it was only a couple of feet off. Um, Then Uruti gets another one. I don't remember what that one was. Gabrielson gets a header that hits the post not long after that. Aruti has another shot there. Uh Cecilio has a shot and then ring. So I think the this last one is the one that that ring should have hit that um that went off the post there, but lots of really good chances. Some of them were maybe a little unlucky or maybe just slight like marginally lacking in execution on our part. Some of them were excellent saves by Stefan Cleveland, he he had a really great game.
0: He did. And there there was another play. I think it was a corner. I don't, I don't remember if it was Coleman sure. Not that put it in, but there was one of those balls where somebody put a ball in on a corner and it kind of bounced around people and it dropped almost to Diego's feet. I think it was about 63. And it was, it was like the one that I've seen Diego score before. Um, but it's like somebody, like I think a defender came in and hit it and knocked it out and went back for a second corner kick around the same time. Because I thought that was going to be the time when we were get, when Diego was going to score the like the tying goal, but he didn't. It was seven minutes later before it came. But there was just a ton of action and a ton of shots, and I guess we got some of the Maxi Arruti that we've heard about. Finally, you know, people were worried about him never shooting. And he had no yeah. no fear. In I don't his think time he took any field. selfish shots though. But he, no, he, didn't. he 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 ripped some when he got the opportunity though. His attempted bicycle kick was kind of weird. I don't even know if that counted as a shot because I don't know if he connected uh, it did. on it. it
1: okay. It, yeah, it's because it. It wasn't on target, but I think it counted it as a shot. Okay. I could not I remember if he hit it or if he missed the ball, but it seemed like <laughs> that was audacious, to say the least. Yeah, so uh, Diego scores the equalizer in the 70th minute, so it was a, a corner that got recycled back out. Lima plays the ball across to the back post. Cecilio gets ahead on it and kind of heads it back across goal. Diego just kind of like throws a foot at it just to try to keep it alive and it kind of tips it up between two defenders and then body like kind of backs up into a defender to hold him off starts to like turn like 180 degrees to kick the ball. And he sees kind of like where the ball is and where his angle is and does this like really nice hesitation with like his foot already in the air, standing on one foot, rotating and kind of leaning to the side hesitates for just a second to make sure the ball kind of floats in to the right spot for him to get his foot around it. And then hits it and just kind of slots it into that corner. So like whenever seeing it live, I thought it was just kind of like the ball was bouncing around and Diego got a foot to it and it went in. But watching the replay, it was really well done by Diego there.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful. So you that was all that was all intentional, do you think? I mean, that wasn't just a good luck moment. I, I in- think
1: the the first touch was lucky, the one that kind of kept it alive and went over the defenders. The finish was was actually really good. He meant that. Um, I I was I'm very impressed by what he did on that second touch, but the fir- the first one was a little bit lucky, I think.
0: Well, yeah, well the, that was yeah, it was a beautiful goal, and the place blew up. I mean, that was one thing. I feel like Q two was ready to explode. That was I mean, I wish we would have got that second goal to see. I know because it was rocking and it was really full. Um, you know, we've had sellouts, we've had plenty of sellouts that like weren't quite full the whole time, but I feel like the crowd was like there for the first minute. You have Lev a little bit like at halftime. Cause Jackson wanted me to go get food at halftime and then like 48 minutes in, I'm like, you see how like that side is half empty. It's cause all those people are just sitting on the concourse waiting for food. That's why we don't get food at halftime, but like it filled back in. It was a great crowd too.
1: Yeah. I, 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 the thing I always look for whenever I'm trying to decide if it's a strong crowd is I look through the supporter section and look up in the top corners to see if those are filled out and it was chock full. So, um, yeah, lots, of, lots of people there. Uh, So, yeah, I think the last good chance was that ring chance. The expected goals model here gives it a 52% chance. Um, The rest of them were a lot lower than that. But, uh, yeah, couldn't get it over the line. Seattle did a good job of – they got a few really good shots as well. Leo Chu had one where he kind of got in behind. Uh, It was actually a very similar moment to the goal they scored. Christian Roldan got in behind on that right side. Gabrielson did a better job of, of getting out there and covering him, but he got a cross in and it, I can't remember how it got there, but it, the ball bounced over and Chu was like, got the ball, like the ball fell to him right in front of Stuver, And if he gets it on target, he's going to score and he kicks it over the bar. And so mm-hmm. that happened. I think they hit the, po- uh, hit the crossbar one time. They had a few good chances as well, but um, yeah, like you said, expected goals ended 2.1 to 1.7. I think that's, pretty fair um i think it's a pretty fair estimate there but as far as like takeaways from the game here um i thought the I, I this sounds like kind of a homer thing to say but i feel like the officiating was bad again
0: you think so i had somebody ask me if it was the same guys <laughs> last time early on like is this this as bad as the one that did portland so i thought it was what can you have do you have specific moments that you think were particularly bad um, so the one that
1: made me the most mad was in like the last minute. I can't remember who it was, but somebody like came in like a linebacker and folded Alex ring in half right at the top of the box in the dying seconds of the game. And the ref just like watched it and then turned his head around and didn't even look at it. And I think there was a few moments like, I don't think it was as, as poor as some of the decisions mm-hmm. in Portland. Um, but there are a few that he definitely missed some fouls that, um, uh, that were straight up dives that he, he gave his pals. And so I I think for the most part, he did a good job of like keeping the game under control that maybe could have gotten a little bit aggressive and out of hand. I think he did a good job on that, but I think he did miss some calls as well, including the, the, this isn't the, the main referee's fault, the line judge more, but not getting that offside call.
0: Yeah. I don't remember how many I don't remember how many yellow cards there were, but I was surprised how few there were. And I guess that's maybe so maybe I agree with that. If I feel like Seattle was sliding in at guys and playing really aggressively and I was surprised when I got the uh the press release the team sends sends out always has like goals and lineup and like the disciplinary summary from it. I think whether maybe two yellow cards in the it whole was game two. or something. Seattle got yeah.
1: two and we got zero. So
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But let's talk about the lineup. Do you buy the Putting in Finley and starting Finley and Gite, are you are you with Josh's? I understand Josh has logic for doing it, right? Because obviously, every reason, every lineup has a has a reason behind it. But like, if you if you were Coach Landon, is that the starting lineup you would have put out there?
1: Um, I I don't know if it if it's the one I would have done, but I I understand the logic for doing it. So I kind of like hold the two thoughts in my head that it was a valid choice to make and also that it maybe didn't work and I think he recognized that made the subs at the 56 57th minute got them in early Um, also I think if Musajite Musajite whiffs big time on two really good chances if he connects with either the second one especially If like, it's not an easy one to score, but he's in a position that if he just connects with it, then it's going to be like a good chance of it being on target and a tough one to save. And he just scuffs it and it just kind of floats. I don't remember if it like floated into the keeper's arms or floated over the post or what it was, but he just didn't, he got two really good chances in the box and just couldn't make contact. If he scores one of those, maybe we're saying like, oh, it's brilliant, a really good idea to play play Jite. Because there was both moments where he's kind of like bodied up with someone in the box and playing a ball into him. That's not really Ruti's strength. And so if he scores from one of those positions, we're calling him Wolf a genius right now. Um, so and I, I question Jite more than I do Wolf for that one.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And, and both those were when the game was still nil nil, right? Because they were before, they were like, what, around 30? They were before Seattle scored their goal. I don't remember exactly. I think yeah, one it I'm was thinking, in, uh, I think 32 is the one I was thinking the, that had, he had the greatest opportunity.
1: Yeah, the 27th minute was uh, Cecilia crossed one into him. It wasn't as good of a chance. It was a, a tough angle, but he just whiffed it, didn't touch it at all. And then the second one was the 34th minute. And that was the the really good chance that he just scuffed and didn't really get any contact on. Um, as far as the Finley one, playing Finley over Diego, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on this one. I, Diego is just always so good. Uh, even in the games where he's bad, he's still pretty good. And I think the last two games you could say, like he's maybe not been, um, before this one, he was maybe not the, the Diego we've, we've always wanted to see. And Finley has played really well. I I think it's commendable for Wolf to reward guys for playing well and to show the starters like if you're not on top of it, I will bench you. And Diego talked about that in, in the post-game press conference that like it hurt. Like Wolf, he's like, Wolf talked to me yesterday and told me that he was gonna give some other guys a run out, and like it hurt me. I was I was mad about it. Like, I understand, I'll support my teammates, I'll do whatever whatever the coach wants, but Um, like I wasn't happy about it, but he went on to say in a different question, like, that's like good teams do that. Like good teams will push each other. There's competition. And so I kind of like the fact that, okay, Finley scores two goals. He comes in and has really good games as a sub. Let's give him a run out. I think he didn't do enough to keep that spot. Um, but if we come out with like a fired up Diego because of it, I think it's, it's worth the, worth the shot. Yeah, I think that's, what, that's probably what, what's true. What's your take there? Do you think it's, like, from a... Like, I think on the field, we can say it was a failure. Like, uh, I thought Finley was, was fairly poor in comparison to what we've seen from him the last couple of games and what we've seen from other guys on the field. I thought he was one of the weaker spots on the field in this game.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think it's probably a decent idea that didn't work out because he wasn't, he wasn't great, and I I agree. Like, I think he played himself out of that starting position for the next game, but, I mean... Yeah, if you can do that motivate people, Diego certainly looked fired up and ready to go when he came out on the field and made it made a difference. So maybe he'll bring that energy for the start next time. So before we wrap these thoughts up on this game, we should probably take a break since we have not done that yet at all. Despite our best intentions of like doing it <laughs> early on.
1: Yeah, all right. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back with a few other points about the Seattle game and then we'll cover some other Austin FC news. No one is around
0: austin's newest spot to enjoy food fun and football is now open the pitch located next to austin fc's training facility at thirteen thousand harris ridge boulevard has a little something for every fan
1: you can order from four kitchens with unique cuisines serving locally sourced food as well as a selection of local craft beer and cocktails or
0: just settle down in front of one of their 35 big screen tvs to watch our austin fc when they're on the road they're open 11 to 8, Tuesday to Saturday, and then they also have a series of special events and watch parties and things like that. So they're open at least 11 to 8 and probably beyond that. So make sure and visit thepitchaustin.com or follow them on social media for more about availability. You can
1: get a 10% discount by entering the word GOAL, that's G-O-A-L, in the promo code field on the mobile ordering app on your next visit. All right, we're back, and we wanted to talk about a few more um, player performances before we jump into our last couple of takeaways so what were the players you wanted to talk about
0: jeremiah well one thing i forgot i forgot to when i was asking you about who your starting level would be it's whether Ruben it would be one of the center backs like i forgot to mention like julio cascante like i thought he had a really really good game i um, thought
1: he was solid. like i it's it's strange to say but julio has kind of seemed like one of the anchors
0: of the team in these last few games yeah, he was like, I think two weeks ago, I would have hoped that at some point Ruben and Kip were our, like starting center backs and we sort of made Julio the rotational, you know, midweek kind of guy. But I mean, I don't know. He's he's strong defensively. He's I feel like he's done a good job of not getting himself out of position, um, especially in, in, in this match. You know, he tended to be in the right place. And then I think just, the
1: system is treating him kinder this year. Maybe, as well. maybe so. Like, like closing down in defense. I think. Uh, Danny's step up in performance in in that sixth position, um, I think the way the fullbacks are playing, I think just like the way we're counter-pressing, the way we're reacting in those defensive transition moments is saving Julio from being uh, entered into track meets
0: against his will. Right, 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 (laughs) which we saw he has a lot of trouble with last year. And then he just continues to be our biggest offensive threat among the center backs too.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of moments. Talking about positioning, there's a lot of moments where Julio found himself pretty far upfield and like combining with the midfield and playing in crosses and stuff. And then another note about defensive positioning, John Kolmanich would kind of float inside, and he was almost playing as like a central midfielder, like an attacking midfielder at times, as as we'd push up and kind of getting into that finishing shape. Cecilia would float back to get on the ball and Jean would run past him and kind of set up inside and they would play off of each other on that left side. So some really interesting kind of rotation there, but it's, it's looked good and it's worked and it's been effective in, in kind of disorganizing the defense and the way they move the ball within it. It, I've really liked what I've seen from them, but yeah, going back to, to Julio, like he's, he's not just sitting in the back all the time. He's not just like hanging out deep, and that's what's saving him. It's I think he's being smarter and I think the team is
0: being smarter to, to save him from being in those tough situations. Yeah. It's really good for him. I want to talk about the, like the second set of subs too, but do you have any other maybe starters you wanted to cover that we didn't cover during the sort of during the run of the the match? Um, I thought Alex ring had not a great game overall. He
1: still did some good things, but there's a few moments in the attacking third where he was just a little bit sloppy and, didn't connect with the ball, took a heavy touch, whatever it was, just like kind of killed off a couple of moves, which was really disappointing to see with as as sharp as he's been for the most part this year so far. Um Danny was pretty good again. At Danny six. was six. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even see Valencia in this game. Um which I think that had to do with us chasing the win a little bit and putting on a more attacking Option, but um I, there were some still like rocky moments in defensive transition, but it's not every defensive transition like it was seem or seemed
0: to be last year, so you feel like he's still pretty solid as far as being the guy at the at the six for now? I think so. I mean, if he keeps being
1: good enough defensively and as good as he is going forward. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure he'll get dropped eventually either, uh, form or injury or tiredness or whatever it is. Valencia is going to get his shot, but if Danny keeps playing like this, he's going to be the, the number one guy.
0: Yeah. Somebody, I think it was Taylor Rudolph posted on Twitter, like some of his statistics, like his 90, ninety ninety percent pass completion rate during this game. And maybe like he won like 56% of duels. Like it's showing up in the numbers too, beyond just like what you see sort of on the eyeball test. I mean, he's appears to have made a really big step forward.
1: Yeah. I think this is a good uh, spot to pitch Chris Bill's interview that he did with Danny last week. And in that article, he mentions that, um, I saw this on, I saw this on social media that Danny was like training this little, like small group training sessions, uh, in Virginia during the off season and one of the things he mentions in the in the article is that uh he watched videos of Tiago Alcantara uh in the off season, just like watching his body positioning and like if yeah, it's that's a good player to aspire to be for someone like, like Danny Pereira. So if he can be a quarter of the player Tiago is, then I'll take it, man.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well I, one sub I wanted to talk about was we got to see Danny Huson uh, run back and forth on the sideline for the first time they shoot that was pretty exciting yeah good. so
1: danny made
0: the game day roster in place of rodney red right oh that's right yep which was kind of weird because we so then we had all three of our center forwards on the game day roster um yeah i don't i don't know it, what the it, plan was there
1: yeah it seems a little bit weird like maybe it's just re- like maybe danny's look good in training and it was just kind of a reward for him to say like keep it up um But as far as like tactically, like for what you're going to put onto the field, it seems a little bit superfluous to have all
0: three of them there. But I don't know, I don't know. But I did, I did want to talk about some of the guys that actually played. So I think John Gallagher. So with the second set, the second and final set of subs was like Gallagher, Jimenez. This is this Jimenez's first action this year. I think so. Yeah. And then Felipe Martins, who hasn't played in a couple games, I don't think. Yeah. And so whenever Felipe
1: has come on, it's been at the ten. And he came on for Danny and was playing a little bit deeper. Oh, that's right. And was playing more at the, like, that six roll. They were pushing up a lot, so it wasn't really that deeper six that Danny plays, but he was sitting
0: deeper with He's still on the field. Well, so one of the things I wanted to talk about on those subs was a little bit that you mentioned earlier, like, the fact that we can make tactical substitutions to fit, like, our needs during the game, and we're not just throwing on, like, Whoever we had that's healthy and able to play soccer is still like impressive to me because like, right. you could. have... I mean, Martins came in there, but he came in like with the knowing that we were going to attack. And then I was just continued to be impressed by John Gallagher. And like, even if it was like a little bit amount of time, and he's just so fast. Like he's fast enough that he makes up for maybe the learning curve that he's that he has for being like sort of fairly new to this position and not doing it a ton, to where there was yeah. some... There's sometimes when he can just he can just run his way around mistakes in a way I feel like that nobody else can in our defense.
1: Yeah, I mean we saw DeAndre Edlin do that in this league for several years before he went to, to England and then kind of did it in England for a couple of years. I think he he did become a better defender while he yeah. was over in England, but um Yeah. I mean, speed will get you a long way in that position. So he's not doing bad at the other stuff. I'm sure he's, he's going to make some mistakes, but the speed makes up for it. But yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with John Gallagher and I'm kind of hoping he can like become like, I'm curious. I'd be curious to hear from him. Hopefully we'll get some media availability with him at some point, but I'd love to ask If he's fully embracing that fullback role and is like ready to make that turn, because he said openly in interviews before that I don't like playing fullback, like I'll do it if they want me to, but I don't want to. And maybe he's at a point in his career, he's like 26 years old now, I think that like, okay, if you want to play at this level, it's going to be at fullback. You're
0: going to be a fullback. Yeah. Do you you want significant minutes? Yeah.
1: I kind of yeah. hope he does. I, I, if if he sticks with it, he seems like a smart guy willing to learn. Um, So I, I'd love to
0: see him turn into like a top class fullback for us. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. So let's, a couple of things that we want to hit before we get out of this one is one, like is Q2 staying becoming a fortress? I think it's one question because we're 2-0 and two wins, no losses and a draw this year. And then we finished strong last year too. It's so like, are we a fundamentally different team at home? Like, is that something we should just count on? Is like winning the home matches or is it just a small sample size against like, we know we started with two. Well, we don't, we thought we started with two really bad teams, but maybe Cincinnati isn't as bad as we thought. But yeah, you know, what
1: do you think about that? <laughs> uh, I'm, I think it's still TBD. Um, I don't think we've seen enough to like, confidently say yes q2 is absolutely a fortress uh i think we've got the potential for that if the team keeps playing this hard and fighting this much and like showing the the ability to fight back we know the crowd's going to be good uh if if the team gives them anything the crowd is going to be good every time The like the like los verdes and the folks in the south in there like to say and what adrian Helios says on the broadcast every time is the supporter section is undefeated They're They've not lost and will not lose as long as the team gives them at least a little bit of something to cheer for. So I think we're, we have the ingredients in the
0: making for it, but I'm not quite ready to say that Q2 is a fortress. I feel kind of the same way too. Like it's close, you know, we're close to being there, but I just haven't, if we just scored that second goal, yeah on sunday like I'm, i'd am be, be willing to start believing that you know but we you know we could rally for a rally for a draw but we still we kind of need like the environment to like will the team to victory i think once or twice in order to really kind of take that stance on what the stadium is like yeah ask me again in june yeah hopefully hopefully we'll be able to have a different answer and speaking of rallying um yeah, what does this say? Only twice last year, Austin fought back after getting scored on first. That's insane. <laughs> and we lost one of those. Now, somebody pointed out, I forgot about this, but there was actually a third time uh, that it happened that I think everybody missed is when we played Frisco. We went down one at nil, tied it at one, and then Frisco scored three more times in the first half. Okay, so we did. We did actually for like seven minutes or something. We we. We'd rallied then, but yeah, only the Colorado went on the road last year, and then uh, against LAFC on September did we fight back after getting scored on first.
1: Yeah, I, I think going back to Josh Wolf's quote, like it's a different team, and I think it definitely is. Like the to go down in the forty third minute, whatever it was, to see those guys come back out and fight like they did in the second half, that doesn't happen last year, like the team that we put out last year, I would have had almost no faith that they were going to come back and do anything with it. And this one, I was like, at halftime, I was like, we can still win this game. And like, I believed that and they came out and I still believed it until the final whistle, pretty much like we could win this one. And like they've given us reason to believe that with their attitude, with the way that they play with the way they fight and kind of the, the camaraderie and the, the just like spirit around the team. Like you believe that this group can fight back and can do things like that. And I never believed that last year.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and yeah, I believe that we're going to believe that there was a good chance we're going to win after we scored that first goal. And like Seattle was like, they were playing slow and they were kind of rolling around and, you know, clearly if Seattle was playing for the draw, you know, as Austin was pushing for the win, but I still believe that it, I believe that it would come or that it was a good chance it would come for most of the, last like 15 or 20 minutes of the match.
1: Speaking of kind of the fighting spirit, one thing Wolf mentioned in the press conference was that uh, there were a couple of like dust ups in training this week, like little like scuffles between players. And he was talking about it like this is a good thing. And it's like it, not that he wants his players fighting, but it was like they're competitive and they care. He's like, that didn't happen last year. We didn't. We never saw fights on the training field last year because – I kind of hinting at the fact, like I don't want to say that they didn't care, but like there wasn't that same passion, that same energy in the team last year that you're seeing this year. And when you have that passion, that energy, that competition in the team, it might lead to tempers kind of boiling over every once in a while, but he acted like it was a good thing, which I'll take that over, over kind of like
0: lukewarm performances any day. Yeah. And I think the competition part of that is probably a big part of it because last year, also people were, people were comfortable in their role mostly almost everybody knew they were starter or they weren't or you know what their role was and there was not this people all over the field like really having to put in the work every day in order to to be able to even make the game day roster I'd be very curious to know if that that scuffle involved
1: Felipe kicking one of the starters in training <laughs> <laughs> I believe it might <laughs> Uh, all right, we we're ready to move on to other Austin
0: FC news? Yeah, let's cover a bit of it.
1: Uh, so Austin FC Academy had a few different pieces of action this weekend in various places. So it looks like the U15s and the U17s went to Ohio and played games on Saturday and Sunday, I believe. Uh, they The U17s beat Cincinnati 1-0 and then beat uh, Columbus 2-0. uh the U15s drew with Cincinnati 1-1, drew with Columbus 2-2, and then uh the U14s played a couple of Colorado teams here in Austin um on Saturday and Sunday. But one thing I thought was interesting from that game is we saw some pictures come out on Instagram and Owen Wolf was in the starting 11 for both of those games against the Ohio team. So I was a little bit concerned. I mean, we we heard Wolf talk about how he wants to get Owen some minutes somewhere, I know that like Owen is not eligible to play in all of the u seventeen team games, but I think he is eligible to play against the other m l s sides, and so I was glad to see him get some minutes because I don't know that like u seventeen is necessarily the best level of competition for him at this point, but he needs to be playing it's it's better than no one yeah yeah i don't I don't know that he's ready for to with as much competition as there is in the midfield right now. I don't know that he deserves to be in the, the game day roster, but we want to see him playing somewhere and without the, the next pro team this year, he needs to get some minutes. So I'm glad to see him uh, get to travel with, with the U 17s and and get a couple of games in.
0: Yeah. You could tell like just from looking at the picture, the team picture, like he just looks more like a grown up than like every, a lot of those kids on the team still look like kids. And he does still, he looks like a, a guy playing soccer maybe it's just whenever
1: i've I've still only seen him play with the 17s that one game but i'd be very interested to see him and that was uh i don't know several months ago at this point and he looked he looked like kind of on another level from the rest of those kids um i'd be curious to see if any of those other guys have closed that gap or if owen has widened the gap at all
0: um but yeah i'll be interested to see him play with that team again up close yeah, and then we have a we have a big tournament starting this week. This is something for... We've talked about how we leave stuff out a lot on the outline. I've written about the U.S. Open Cup more than once, and we've never had time to cover <laughs> it, but I think we can this week. So U.S. Open Cup is the longest-running soccer competition in the U.S. Started in the 1913-1914 season. This is the 107th edition. So the tournament itself starts um, this week, I think on the 20, 22nd and 23rd, so it's going to start very soon. Um, but it's like amateur teams, USL two teams, stuff like that. And then for this round, but Austin will get involved in the third round, which will take place April 19th to 21st. And at that point there'll be 64 teams in the field. That's sort of when the, when the MLS, uh, club starts. So what should people expect from US open cup, Austin FC side?
1: Uh, I don't know. Like, a lot of teams, I mean, any any fans of the Premier League will know that like the FA Cup, a lot of the top teams don't really take it seriously until they kind of make it pretty far. And then they'll start playing their <laughs> their starters in some of those games because it's mostly midweek games. Um, and so by taking one of these midweek games seriously, you're maybe not putting out your best lineup for one of the weekend games that counts towards the league. I think it it's kind of that way in MLS as well, especially playing some of these lower level teams. Our first game will likely come from, um, I don't know if it's necessarily one of the Texas teams, but it'll be like a regional lower level team. So I think there's a good chance we'll play someone like El Paso or San Antonio, maybe RGV. Um, But it'll be from like a regional lower level team.
0: And, and, and so it's, it's the week in between it's in the, you talk about the midweek it's between the DC and Vancouver matches. So that's going to be a three match week. So you do have to manage that.
1: Yeah. Last week or last year that would have like made me nervous this year. <laughs> I I'm kind of looking forward to it because there's some guys on the team who aren't getting minutes who I would really like to see get minutes. So that would be, I think that's a good game to let, let's start Felipe. Let's start GJ. Let's start. Uh, Gallagher and Jimenez like put those guys in the field and like I don't feel bad about that lineup like we should be able to beat a USL team with that lineup and so I'm kind of looking forward to these these games this year
0: yeah it'll be a really good chance to see some guys get some action that that we couldn't otherwise I think that's that's right so I'm excited to see what they can do um and it's especially good because we don't have like the Seattle, you know, U21s to run out and fill in some of those spaces too. So it's going to have to be from probably most of them from among the senior team players, but we've got the kind of depth that we can do that.
1: Yeah. I, I, we see guys, uh, Stroud, Rodney, Owen, I bet, I bet Owen Wolf gets, gets some minutes in, in the open cup this year. Um, but we've, yeah, we've got the numbers, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it and seeing kind of seeing what these If, if Keller's not getting minutes still, that's a great spot for him to get some more experience, get some minutes, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll... I, I, who who do you want to see us play? Do you have a preference of which team we see well, in the first
0: round? I think I most... Nat- this, maybe this is just because like, I follow Harry on Twitter, but I feel like San Antonio is my natural rival. And my friends in San Antonio that are long-time soccer fans are still sort of bitter about Austin and the whole way the expansion thing worked out. So I would like to see us play San Antonio. I think it would be fun. I agree, yeah. I we better win. Be we better win if that yeah. happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that would be fun, though. Like if we... W- how does the draw was is it home and away? How do we? I don't even know what the format is. Will we necessarily play two games?
0: I do not. Let's see. Hang on.
1: Let's in just... any case, it would be a lot of fun to take a big group down to San Antonio and and like play in that that because they have a pretty good a pretty nice stadium for a USL team down there. They do. And so to to have like a bunch of a big group of of Verde folks in that stadium with the San Antonio crowd, I think that would
0: be fun. It is a single game knockout format, so it'll be a draw. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll play either home or away. All right, let's, uh, we got to get, we have some other questions to get to, but we have one more ad break to get to also. Yeah, we're going to come back after this
1: break with uh, some questions from our, our loyal Patreon members. So uh, we're excited to listen to those. I think we'll probably do some more questions next week without, um, without a game t- to recap, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with those questions.
0: We're doing another ticket giveaway for the game on April 10th, thanks to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. To enter the drawing, you can go to Moontowersoccer.com, click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form.
1: Again, this is made possible by our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC.
0: FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And we got a very nice note from Aaron Von Flayten. Uh, via email today. Nice. So they are not only sponsors, but apparently they are listeners. So Aaron, if you're still, still with us here, thank you very much for checking it out. And we appreciate you ordering a Moon Tower Soccer shirt. Um, for yourself and it was just kind of cool to hear hear from them that they're committed to everything we're doing and appreciate the show
1: you can go to fef.law to find out what makes fef a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case once again that's fef.law all right we are back we're going to answer some listener questions from our patreon members first one comes from cody odell uh, Cody says, hello, Moon Tower. I've been listening to your pod since before last season started and haven't missed an episode yet. I live in the DFW area and will be attending an upco- upcoming Minnesota match at Q2, which will be my first there, but second overall. Uh, he attended one in Frisco last year. Based on whatever criteria you wish, who is your overall favorite player on the team? He says, mine's Diego for a lot of reasons, but most of all because of that goal he scored right in front of the away supporters in the match I attended in Frisco, which that was Maybe the only bright spot of that match in Frisco was, was that awesome
0: goal that Diego scored, and it was so short I and mean, it was so uh, short lived too, right? Because they they responded very quickly to that. If yeah. I remember right, yeah. So Jeremiah, who is your
1: favorite Austin FC player for whatever reasons you choose?
0: I mean, I feel like there are two very obvious choices, and Cody kind of took one. I was gonna go. I was gonna go with Brad Stuver, regardless of what Cody's choice was. But I would do that. I mean, for for many reasons, he's a great guy. He's agreed to talk to us twice. Um, his parents like every tweet that we put out on Twitter, which I always yes. appreciate. I mean, he's just like a good, a good dude that got involved in the community early on, and they and he and his wife got really involved in Austin early on. And it's really cool to see a guy like that that played for what seven years, nine years, whatever that that, that, that never really, never really got an opportunity to succeed in the way that he succeeded, and just embrace the city in the way that he's done it.
1: Yeah. Stuver is a great, great choice. Um, I feel like if you ask most people in Austin, the answer is either Stuver or Diego, which excellent choices. I think I'm going to say Danny Pereira, uh, just, just kind of the, the personality. And he's, he's also a young guy, um, had to overcome some obstacles to get to where he is. And, from reading that interview we did with Chris bills and seeing some of the media stuff he's done over the last couple of weeks seems to be like, has really kind of turned a corner in going from a college player to a pro player and is really taking that seriously. So he's like got that work ethic, but is also still like a really fun personality and kind of a fun guy to watch. So I think he's, he's going to be my choice. Some dark horses there though, that might catch up to him are some of the new guys. Uh, I, I, really like Felipe and I think Ruben is going to be a really fun guy to have on the team. Once he gets settled in is a little more comfortable. And if, if none of y'all, i I imagine a lot of you have seen this, but the video that I took of Ruben's uh, Ruben's of kids kid trying to run away after the game, <laughs> the last home game, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have my phone out after every game, trying to get like awesome footage of this kid. Cause he's doing something ridiculous after every game. <laughs>
0: And that's just so humanizing, right? Like, these guys are elite athletes and whatever. And and like, you know what? Sometimes your kids are just trying to run away and you have to chase them down. Uh, Maxie's
1: kid is another good one to watch after games. He's always dancing. And like, the music will be playing as he walks on the field. And he always has like a hat that's way too big for him on. And is just like dancing his little heart out.
0: (laughs) That's super cute. I'll look for that next time. Um, All right, I'm going to go to Kevin Kavanaugh's question. Says last year, Q2, Q2 Stadium played Voodoo Chow during the opening kickoff, which was awesome. This year, they changed to a different Stevie Ray Vaughan song, which is okay, but it doesn't get me pumped up for the game. Why did they change? Do you have an answer for this, Jeremiah? Oh, I don't know why they changed, but I was just more I, interested. I have a
1: theory. Okay, go for it. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but so especially for this most recent game, Seattle Sounders were wearing their Jimi Hendrix-inspired kits. Voodoo Child is a Jimi Hendrix song. Right. And so I'm curious if they didn't want to have a song that was tied to another MLS club playing in our stadium.
0: Yeah. Even I mean, if
1: it is being performed by a Texas native, an Austin native, that it has connections to the Seattle team as well, especially with those jerseys that they wear.
0: Yeah. Well, I have, I have a more practical answer too, now that I think about it. And that is, we, okay. have a, we have a different director of match day experience than we had last year. And a different right. DJ and a different DJ. So I think just like that personnel change probably has something to do with that, that people wanted to put their own stamp on the game day experience. So, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughn's like an Austin legend. So it makes sense that you would pick him, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the, um, to be involved in that experience. But I think just like the change in personnel probably has something to do with that too. All right. Next question is
1: coming from Sean Collins. Sean asks, what do you think the odds are that we would ever have mutton busting as a pregame or halftime entertainment? Jeremiah,
0: being from where you're from, I'm guessing you know what mutton busting is? I do know what mutton busting is, and it is my favorite part of every single rodeo that I've ever been to. So, do you want to explain mutton busting to our listeners? <laughs> to, our, to our listeners, to our more sophisticated listeners who didn't grow up <laughs> around mutton busting? Yeah. It's... Uh, it's well, you know, bull riding is like the big money like rodeo event. So it's if you instead of doing bull riding, if you have five to seven-year-old children ride sheep, then that's what mutton busting is. And basically you put a little kid on the back of a sheep and they ride it for as long as they can. And it tends to be pretty hilarious because like some kids fall off immediately and some kids like hang on forever. Um I was gonna sign my kids up for mutton busting, but Jackson Bentley was actually over the weight limit. Like apparently they were afraid he was <laughs> By the time he was old enough, he was too big to button bust because I guess they were afraid he was going to like crush the sheep. So I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to do that. But uh, yeah, it's a great event.
1: And it doesn't really seem like a thing Luke would be into.
0: No, no,
1: no, no. He might get hurt. So he's not going to do that. <laughs> so what do you think the chances are that we ever see mutton busting at Q2 Stadium?
0: I think the odds are pretty low. Don't Don't
1: you think so? I think they're low, but I don't think they're zero. You don't think they're zero? Okay. I could see a future where like they maybe lean into some like weird Texas things to throw into like match day activities. I don't think we'll ever see it on the field, but I could see it as some type of like pregame activation yeah. again, very low chances, but I'm not going to say it's zero.
0: Yeah. They, 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 We don't see a lot of that or, or any of that. Like you see in some other sports, like in, again, like baseball, they will have the, like every team has, well in Texas, at least they have like a farm day, you know, where they'll do like, cow milking and stuff like that and then football they'll have kids come out do like punt pass, and kick and stuff you know yeah during during games we haven't seen any of that kind of um activity in Austin FC games so I I wonder if that's like something they're looking to develop
1: part of that is just soccer though right because in baseball you have so much downtime yeah that you can do it like as you're changing in between innings or whatever football
0: is just like it's always at halftime right you know which is
1: longer than I think than like a soccer halftime and basketball you get like the half court shot competitions or like the mascot dunking on a trampoline or whatever and so you have that downtime to do it um you're not going to see sheep on on <laughs> Weston Applefeller's pitch ever, ever like that's yeah. not going to happen and so it would have to be something that didn't involve people actually walking onto the pitch <laughs> Uh, but also i don't know it's like less less of a cultural thing right like austin has leaned into like more modern mls the fan groups have leaned into a more like uh kind of like latin american style with the music and stuff that they're doing and so i feel like it would kind of like clash culturally with it as well i do have not just mutton busting but any of those like
0: kitschy games that you see at other american sports I think you're right. I think it would have to be sort of like in that that outside area on the north end, like sort of pregame or whatever, or maybe somewhere yeah. near Live Oak Park or whatever. Um, that oh, so speaking of that, have you have you done either of the post match concerts?
1: I've walked I- past all three of them, and they've been three excellent bands so far. Which Grupo Fantasma is a band that I really like, and I think they did the second game. Superfonicos was the first one, and then. Magna Carta, which is uh, a hip hop group that I found out about when I moved to Austin, that and had never gotten to see live. They played this last one, but um, yeah, they've they've been booking some really cool bands to play out there.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool addition to the game day. Speaking of additions to the game day experience, the fact that they've managed to be able to realize that in a way that they didn't last year is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my up next, yeah, okay, Brian Parker wants to know what are your favorite favorite Pring emojis. This is going to be specific to people who are in Los Verdes Slack, but. We did, first of all, they're a bunch, and so and,
1: these are. We, we've talked about the the cult, like the Pringles cult that exists within Los Verdes. There also exists a set of several dozen emojis, like custom made emojis involving uh, the little Pringles mascot, who they've named San Julius. Um, and so this is what Pringmo Pringmojis is referring to.
0: Yeah, my favorite one is the um. There's like a devil. Julius, sort of the duality of Julius because they like pray to Saint Julius and also he like has some evil in him <laughs> and can apparently have ill intent. So I just like, I don't, it's not my favorite like design wise, but just like the idea of Devil Julius is my favorite Pringmoji. I think my favorite
1: one is the, um, the red card Julius. It's like the little Julius mascot's head on a referee body and he's holding up a red card and people will use it for, uh... Either foul play within a Slack thread, or if somebody just expresses an opinion or an idea that they disagree with, they'll put the little red card on there. And I always find that very entertaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Well, the last thing is not a, a question, but you want to read our final comment?
1: Yeah, this one comes from our friend Harry down in San Antonio. <laughs> he says, No questions for me at this point, but whenever I do, you'll be the first to know, as I am not afraid to ask questions. Yes, we know this, Harry. Uh, And then he goes on to say, thank you for doing this show. While I'm not a huge fan of Austin FC, the information that Muntar puts out is so good. Um, Harry, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Harry, for those of you who haven't interacted with him, I think he probably listens to like 75 different soccer podcasts and not just like skims them. He seems to like listen thoroughly to 75 different soccer podcasts. And Harry, since I know you're listening, I've actually been meaning to reach out to you and – Like kind of pick your brain and see if there's any like formats or like uh, templates that we should be uh, kind of picking from other podcasts. So I'm going to I'm going to send you a message and and ask if there's any that I should be listening to. But uh, thanks for listening, Harry. We always appreciate your support. And even though you always say that you're not an Austin FC fan, we know that you actually are deep down. That's absolutely
0: right. Yeah. Well, I think (laughs) what I was on Twitter maybe two weeks ago, he was talking about like he needed to find an L.A. Galaxy 2 podcast. I was like, this is the kind of commitment this guy has (laughs) to to, to, to Uh, learn everything about American soccer, which is beautiful.
1: So that's all the questions we have for this week. We do have some more Patreon questions we're going to answer next week. Um, We'll probably do some other listener questions next week. We also,
0: next week, are going to have an interview with someone, aren't we, Jeremiah? We are. And somebody we've talked about a couple times on this show, um, but our own Felipe Martins. We're going to interview him tomorrow for the show to be released next week. Um, but we're excited about doing that because he's a guy that has come in uh, and really like embraced Austin and um, embraced culture and, and part of the team and the competition and like helping Maxie Rudy on the barbecue grill and all that. So we're excited <laughs> to, to talk to him.
1: All right. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at lvahero 87 Jeremiah's is at J Bentley underscore ATX. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram at Moon Tower Soccer. Uh, we'd actually encourage you to sign up for the Patreon. If you sign up at the captain level, we will guarantee to answer one of your questions on the show every month, and then have some really cool uh, rewards that we're giving out. the The enamel pins came in last week, and they look so good. I have those pictures up on the Patreon website if you want to see those. And then we've got some koozies and some stickers that we're going to be giving out to various levels so check that out if you have a few extra bucks and then we've already mentioned Chris Bills interview with Danny Pereira on the Striker Texas definitely go check that out is there any other articles uh, you want to point out there
0: yeah this is news that kind of maybe it came and went quickly but he also wrote another article about if there is a move to be made for Gio Zardes, Austin FC should find a way to make it it's a Chris Bills piece and i thought it was a pretty interesting one because that is a polarizing guy in the soccer in the Austin well not in the Austin soccer community in the American soccer community and there's this uh rumor out there that he may be available to another mls team
1: yeah i have a lot of thoughts on that but we don't have time for it today. Oh, i know <laughs> i was like
0: I, w- I wish we would have talked about this before we wrote the outline and we could probably could have spent some time dedicated to this topic so maybe maybe we'll take it up next week maybe not
1: yeah if the rumors are still floating around next week that he might be on the move we'll we'll definitely talk about it but i do have some thoughts uh, anyway thanks so much for listening we'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer we'll uh, preview the San Jose match next weekend Remi- remember we're off this coming weekend for the international break so no no match this coming weekend uh, and then we'll also have that uh, aforementioned interview with Felipe Martins until then I'm Landon Cottam.
0: I'm Jeremiah Bentley we'll catch you next
1: time is around We're just like, we're like a gas. We just like expand to fit the shape of our container.